Welcome to the Wisdom Rising podcast. I'm your host, Lama Sultrama Aleone, and my goal with this podcast is really to open your own wisdom, to have your own wisdom rising, either through the meditations that I lead or introduce you to, or to the people that I interview that bring wisdom with them in their own voice, in their own traditions. So we look forward to raising our wisdom together on the Wisdom Rising podcast. And I'm so happy to share this with you. Welcome, everyone. Wonderful to be here to celebrate Lopanchana's book. So I want to welcome Dorji Lopan, Chandra Easton. Welcome and congratulations on your book. Having a book is like having a baby. Um, yes. I think it's easier than having a baby after it's done, but I'm not sure it's easier at the pregnancy. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, the pre this pregnancy really took its toll. You know, I'm not young anymore. So, you know, as we get older, having babies can be harder on the body, but it was still a joy. And yeah, now it feels like it can take wings. And it's one of those babies who's fully gestated when they leave the womb and they can just go like a horse, go walk right away. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Yeah, it is amazing in that moment when you first hold your book in your hands and it's actually done. So the energy of the Padma family of magnetism. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about the four Chunle that she embarked the four enlightening activities. Yeah, so even though she's the Padma, she's red. So that signals, okay, she's in the Padma family. And a lot of your students will know that because the mandala is so important within your teachings. The book Wisdom Rising, the five Dakini mandala practices, we really learn about those four enlightened activities and their association with the colors. So red... Padma family, the power is Wangdu, right? Wangdu is this magnetizing power. So the Padma magnetizing, this word called magnetizing is actually a compound word of Wang and then Du, which is our Wang, or it has other implications too. Like when we have empowerment ceremonies, it's called a Wang. And then Du means to consolidate. So it's like a coming, like a bringing together of power. Sometimes it can be empowering, but it can also be overpowering, right? But what often the connotation is that magnetizing, meaning drawing together. So that's the red Padma family Trinle, the enlightened activity. But in her description, in the commentaries to the 21 Tata's praises that this, these practices are based on, the Kempo brothers and other teachers say, well, she's also not just magnetizing, but she has the power to enact all the enlightened activities. So what those are is in the Vajra family in the East is to, to kind of pacify, right? So the Vajra enlightened activity is to pacify all that is negative or harmful or ego clinging, right? And I'd love if you want to enhance that, that's great. would love that. And then but also then moving around into the Ratna family of the South, the golden color. So Vajra was blue in the Nyingma tradition. In the South, the Ratna family embodies enrichment. So the enlightened qualities of enriching all that is good, like good health, longevity, but also abundance and our qualities of enlightened 
nature of one taste, being able to have a wisdom of equanimity and like the earth beneath us and embodying that stability and balance within our realization and within our life. So she also has that power within her. And then in the, in the West, the Padma is, as we know, is to magnetize. The Wangdu is off in that red Padma family enlightened activity. And then in the North, the Karma family of green color, like green Tara, is often said to subdue. Maybe you have other uh, way you like to articulate that, but it's, it's powerful. It's like to subdue negativity. So whereas Vajra was to pacify, the North green family enlightened activity is to subdue. And so she has the power to enact all of those enlightened activity and to magnetize all that is beneficial for beings. So it's a good, this beautiful one to focus on right now as the years end. I was thinking about that. You know, we have we have wars, we have violence, we have strife and starvation and illness and everything. And she she's a great one to focus on as the year comes to an end because it's like this gathering of all the positive energy and then enacting that for the benefit of all beings as we start to look forward with the solstice into the next phase of light, the next year. Beautiful. Thank you for that explanation. So it's pacifying, increasing, magnetizing, and subduing or destroying. Yeah, what do you think about that? (laughs) Uh, One of the ways that I think of the four trinleys is how to work with situations Mm. and how, for example, if you have a problem with somebody, at first you, you try to pacify them. You try to make peace. It's really, it's, it's sometimes called a peaceful, like the peaceful fire puja, you know, is that one yeah. connected to the color white. And then in the south, let's say they don't get pacified. So then you, d- you give them some gifts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, really. And that can actually help when you're having a problem with somebody. It's just like, you know, oh, I thought of you, I wanted to give you this. So it's sort of that increasing energy. And then Wandu has, sometimes it can be a little difficult to distinguish between the increase and the magnetizing, mm-hmm. but the magnetizing is really drawing toward you. So that would be like with that person, you really try to magnetize them, sort of not seduce them literally, but but sort of pull in the energy and and connect with them mm. Mm. deeply. And then ultimately, if none of that worked, <laughs> <laughs> or subdue, and just like, this isn't working, I need to create a boundary here. So that fourth one is the fierce activity, but all of them are enlightened activities. And so we were not based on our egoic needs. Mm-hmm. And it's important to talk about also with the fifth Tara because yeah. people think that she's sort of, she's like the the dating Tara, you know, like the big Tara with her bone arrow. <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of the early Hindu was used was for as love potions. She was uh, yes. that. So 
she got sort of uplifted when she became a Buddhist goddess, but that's still that's still there, and, and a lot of people think that that's what she is. I like how they the Buddhists kind of reframed the bow and arrow. It, the classic Buddhist way of thinking is that arrow pierces the heart of duality <laughs> and brings be- beings into a state of non-duality. I thought, okay, that's cool. That's taking elevating the Cupid <laughs> image. Yeah. She's interesting. As we're talking, I'm also thinking of Saraha's consort, the 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 Fletcheress Dakini. She could she could have also been. She could also, along with Machig and you, she could be one of those perhaps Padma mm-hmm. deities because of that association with the bow and arrow. How she taught Saraha, the arrow maker, the arrowsmith woman. Yeah, became his guru really, but she's never named this frequently happens with women there. They're there and they're very important, but they're not named. So, yeah. So I want to ask you a few questions now. Are you ready for that? Bring it up. Why do you think the 21 Tars are important today? Like, why are they important right now in the world? They are so important, I think, because they, you know, historically, we've had such a limited variety of images of the sacred feminine, the empowered or enlightened feminine. They're really few and far between. And yet they're there. They exist. We just don't hear about them very much. So this elevates that, those different expressions of how the feminine energy, no matter what your gender identity is, we all have that kind of feminine expression, the yin as opposed to the yang or the solar and Buddhist tantra as opposed to the lunar which would be masculine. That's an interesting flip actually from like the Hindu and Taoist way of seeing things. It's fun to talk about that actually, but not here. <laughs> and so to, to really get to embody a dynamic variety of ways that the empowered, enlightened, liberated feminine can manifest in the world and in ourselves, right? And to support that because often either women are hysterical <laughs> or you know, angry or irrational, or like in the Madonna image, you know, self-sacrificing mother. And we don't have a lot of images of ways we can embody the dynamic power within us. We don't always want to be a mother. We don't always want to self-sacrifice in the sense of that word. Maybe it's time for us to step out and say, no, I'm important too. You know, I need to be heard. And the Tadas embody that quality like this one. She is, she's got this dynamic of the peaceful and the fierce or wrathful within her. And I like to feel, to imagine that as like the collision of opposites that give rise to an explosive dynamism. They call it semi fierce or semi wrathful, right? Is the common way to say that her category of the mood or the expression of this Tada. But often you'll teach that it's joyful. And I think that's beautiful because it's that that kind of maybe even like what I say in the red other red Tara chapter, <laughs> Tara one is it's state of, you know, in the best sense of the word, orgasmic unification of opposites, that potency of dynamism. So these Taras embody this and don't hide it, you know. Yeah. The way we can embody. Yeah. It's really true that we've had such limited images of examples or models of the spiritual embodiment of the feminine. And I mean, I grew up with really only 
the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. Those one that I had. And we all need models. You know, when 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 we're trying to decide what to do, we often think about, well, what did so-and-so do? Or what, you know, how did they do it? Or what's a model for what I'm trying to get to? And then if you have all these various models that you can use for various activities, it just has an incredible richness in it. Wonderful. I'm remembering your book, the the first book you wrote, Women of Wisdom. That's exactly what that did for so many of us. And I know that was your impetus for writing that book and translating those Tibetan women practitioners' biographies. And so you that's it's so true. And that helped me so much in my 20s when I was studying Dharma in India without a lot of female <laughs> embodiment representations. Yeah. Yeah, the Taras do that too. They continue that in a different way. So leading from that, can you talk about your own personal experiences or things that happened that led you to feel there was a need for the feminine in your in your life and also a need to acknowledge the fact of the patriarchy in Buddhism and how just how that came to you personally in your experience. Yeah. I had the good fortune of having a Buddhist mother, you know, Tibetan Buddhist mother practitioner, right? Janine, my mom. And she was always very devoted to Tata. So when I was a young girl, she taught me her mantra. She told me about Tata as the enlightened feminine. So I knew I knew that she was there. I knew that that existed within the Dharma. But when you know, I grew up in Dharma centers and my parents would often host lamas, and it was so obvious the disconnect between the idealism of the empowered feminine and the balance between the masculine and feminine enlightened qualities, and then the cultural expression of the norms, very, very patriarchal. And there, the women are strong in Tibetan culture. Like in India right now, the Tibetan government is, I think, over half women. Like there's also another side of Tibetan culture that's really liberated better than the United States representation and the uh, government, for example, right? So I'm not painting broad strokes, but often in religious power structures, whether no matter what religion it is, religious spiritual tradition it is, the the patriarchy is quite a bit stronger because there's a lot of power and money and, you know, that awareness from a feminist lens definitely raised a feminist. So I knew early on, okay, you know, there's injustice there. And I felt that too. And I felt it from her frustration, what she would say and feel, but also so in love with the tradition that we're still in it. Like we're still here. But then for me personally, I think when it really got brought to home, you know how we can be aware of an issue, but we don't really understand it until it hits us, you know, Mm. it collides with us. And that happened when I was about 22, 23. I was volunteering at a Dharma center here in California, really committed to taking Dharma seriously, moving away from my other pursuits towards a spiritual life, thinking about going to India and becoming a nun. (laughs) I didn't know about you at the time. I learned about you and your book when I lived in India, and that was very helpful. But before that, I didn't 
know about your work and um, other women's work in Buddhism. So while I was volunteering at this Dharma Center one day, this crazy experience happened where this very powerful Lama who uh, was from Eastern Tibet was giving Dharma teachings quite regularly. And I won't, you know, I don't want to name any names, but I will just say, you know, as a Tibetan Tertun, treasure revealer, everybody was like, whoa, you know, he was crazy wisdom, <laughs> very beautiful teachings. And so we were in it, hair on fire, practicing Dharma, volunteering at the Dharma Center. We were all in his quarters one day. He was giving some, you know, Dharma talk and talking about building Sangha and maybe five of us in the room with the translator. And uh, suddenly out front, we were in, in a suburban environment with, you know, cars going by and houses all around us. We weren't in nature or in a retreat center. Out front, we hear this, a car crash. And we were like, oh my God, what is that? So we all, except for the, the Lama, the Rinpoche, we all jumped up to go out and see what was going on. So people got up and started leaving the room and I was following and he, he said to me, no, you stay. And I thought, oh, maybe he needs something. Maybe he wants to tell me something. And honestly, I thought maybe he's going to give me a very special team. <laughs> you know, we have this thought of like, oh, I'm staying behind because I'm special. <laughs> And so he ushers me closer to him, you know, and I'm like, oh, 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 is he going to whisper this important teaching in my ear? You know, and you know what he does? He puts his hand down my t-shirt, wearing a t-shirt. So into my neck and grabs my breast. And I was like, no. And I sort of like playfully, but firmly slapped his hand and said, no, not that kind of girl, you know. And he was just sort of laughed and brushed it off. And then I was like, okay. And I ran out. So that was like, oh my God, you know, I actually didn't know that he was a householder. So I also thought he was a monk. So not only is that not okay, I thought he was breaking his vows. I was beginning early days. I was really conflicted about that. And I told one person and I said, please, can I confide in you? She said, okay, I won't tell anybody. Grappling with it. But then she told everybody. So then it creates this uproar in the Sangha. And guess what? Guess, guess who gets blamed? He calls me in there with a the translator, you know, a week later, chews me out, tells me I'm, I, I'm ruining his enlightened activities. People left the Sangha because of what they heard. So then here I'm getting blamed. And so that really pissed me off. And it really made me almost leave Dharma altogether. But the love of Dharma was so strong. I was like, no Lama is going to get, and his, you know, abusive behavior is going to get in the way between me and my Dharma, you know? <laughs> so even though he taught me a lot on many levels, this was disruptive, but it also taught me a lot too, you know? So then it really came alive in me of like, this can't be okay. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. It's It's interesting that there was this accident right in that moment because that you know when you think of things as symbols that in a way this it was like a crashing together of hers and also of the masculine and feminine and the the patriarchal abuse and that's so common that the woman is blamed 
your that it's your fault. I had I I had a similar experience in with a Bhutanese Lama where it wasn't that he came on to me, but he came on to someone else who was very very young mm-hmm. and vulnerable, like fifteen years old, and and then I wrote him a letter about it and basically said it's not okay and and you know your teachings are wonderful and and this you know do you think about the impact on these women and so on and and then his sangha some of whom were feminists they attacked me rather than him yeah i think that before me too that was experience of a lot of people and Somehow that's getting kind of swept under the carpet now with with me too, and this it, we do have a, a voice now, although of course it's still going on, and women are still being silenced but but all the women uh, you know not only in Hollywood but everywhere in the business world, within families, within religious situations, who got blamed for patriarchal misbehavior. Well, you know, as you're talking, even right before you uttered, you know, said me too, I'm thinking, here we are, we get a chance to have a me too moment, you and I, you know, and hopefully that helps other people, whether they're a man or a woman or non-binary who have, who experience similar kinds of things in spiritual communities. And actually the 17th Tata, one of the real life manifestations I chose, there are two in that chapter, 17th Tata, who... Who, this is the Tata who stops immeasurable invading forces, right? So the first real-life embodiment I chose is an amazing woman named Virginia Hall, who was a spy, worked in espionage in World War II, and helped to literally stop the invading forces of Germany into France and, and World War II. But then the second choice, I chose a movement, because I started to thinking thinking of these Enlightened activities of Tata, not only in individuals, but within movements, right? Mm-hmm. Founded by women. Mm-hmm. Tarana Burke founded Me Too. And it was about stopping the invasion of our bodies, right? That mm-hmm. stopping of invading energy that violates and robs us of our autonomy through sexual abuse and other forms of abuse. And so check it. You know, I want to encourage people to read that chapter. I feel that that's an interesting thing to think about in terms of how do we embody the activities of helping to stop invading forces, whether it's violence or verbal abuse or physical mm-hmm. abuse. So Me Too movement. And her name has Tata in it, Tarana Burke. She's a beautiful, amazing autobiography. I highly recommend reading about the origin of Me Too and her bodhisattva intent to give people a voice, empathy, a space to say what happened to them and to be heard. What is the name of her book? You know, I don't remember her. It's an autobiography by Tarana Burke, B-U-R-K-E, the founder of the Me Too movement. And, and it's uh, it's also a good audio book. She reads it. I, I listened to her audio book. It's beautiful. So uh, one more question, and then we'll, we'll close. Is there a particular one of the 21 Taras that you connect with or that has been particularly personally meaningful for you? 
it's been really interesting living with them, trying to, you know, help to channel them. And at various times of my life, you know, this took book took five years altogether to write research a few years, writing two years for two years. So it was almost serendipitous of like, oh, I'm working on the ninth Tara chapter. She's a green Tara, swiftness, bringing things to fruition and protecting from danger. And that came alive in my life at that time. I talk about that in the chapter, chapter nine. But for me, the main one, if I was to choose one, it would be personally Tara four, the fourth Tara, Tara Ushnisha Vijaya. And she's another longevity Tara. And she helps to balance the energies within our body, within nature, kind of similar to Tara 12, but different. She's associated with Pragyaparamita. She's a golden color. She's said to have emitted from the top knot of the Buddha's head when he was expounding a sutra, giving Dharma teachings. And then she also gave her sutra called the Ushnisha Vijaya Dharani or Sutra. It's like a like the Heart Sutra Dharani, which is a long mantra to be memorized and recited. So that's a beautiful text. It's more common in Mahayana Zen traditions, but it's a gorgeous one. But she focuses on healing, and she really helped me through a lot of health challenges that I've experienced over the last uh, two years. And I'm starting to come out of it, and uh, often I would pray to her, ask her to help, and often I'd feel her kind of moving through my body. Okay, we're going to go over here and do some cleaning up. (laughs) And... uh, it was quite powerful. She came alive in, in me in ways that weren't found in the commentaries or that I had learned by from any teacher. And these Tadas tend to do that. People tell me stories about that too, where she comes alive in us and in the world in ways we totally don't predict. And, and so Ushnisha Vijaya, which literally means top knot or the crown protuberance. <laughs> Robert Thurman just said the other day, he thinks of that as like the Buddha's extra brain, <laughs> extra gray matter. <laughs> That's funny. Line of enlightenment that, you know, it's kind of triple, I think, level of a bubbling up top knot. So she, yeah. that's Ushnisha or Tsuktor in Tibetan. Wow. Oh, it's powerful. And that's part of the longevity terma that I received from Machu also. A different form, not in the form of the Tara, but in the form of, of Namgyalma or Ushnisha Vijaya with the eight arms. But she's also one of the oldest Buddhist goddesses, too. That's right. Well, the Dalai Lama's monastery in, in one of his monastery main monasteries in Tibet is called Namgyal, and it's named after her, uh, Ushnisha. I didn't know that until I researched the book. There's also Wu Taishan, that famous mm-hmm. mountain in China. She's associated with that mountain. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I was just writing about Wu Taishan yesterday. <laughs> yeah, about something else connected to Vimalamitra, who's supposed to still be there. He manifests there in, in physical form to people. Well, I'm excited about your Tara course that you're going to be giving. That, that That's amazing. Can you just, before we close, talk a little bit about that? Because I think people would really love to dive in to all this in a different way than they can in an hour. Yeah, we, we have a wonderful online course 
that we've just launched a couple of days ago. It starts in April 2024. And it, each course, each two-hour class will, or hour and a half, two-hour class will really go deep into one Tara and will meditate on her, chant her mantra, also learn the melody to her mantras. I've co-founded a, a nonprofit called the 21 Tara's Collective with Nina Rao and Genevieve Walker, two wonderful kirtan artists who we've all composed or brought traditional melodies in to work with or sing with the 21 Tara mantras to help facilitate learning of the mantra, going deeper into devotion. And we've recorded seven of those. So I will also teach, we'll record all of them, but we'll come out in the new year with the first seven. So we'll announce that. So I'll share those melodies. So it will have a dynamic sort of like embodiment, really learning of her iconography, but also her mantra and how to embody her real life women. And I want these real life women and in movements to have a life of their own to grow. I mean, I had to choose one or two for each chapter for the sake of time and space. But you will have associations with different amazing people you've met. So I want this to continue to grow so we can compile like a long, nice body of suggestions and ideas of how Tara is coming alive for everyone. And that will also be a part of the course. It will last for a few months. We'll take our time going through each Tara. And then we'll also have an in-person retreat at Tara Mandala in July on the topic of embodying Tara in her many forms. So all of that will be posted. And the book grew out of two prior online year-long courses I gave. It helped me form the book. So I give thanks in my book to the many participants in those early courses for their suggestions and feedback. And so it keeps moving. The the one at Taramandal is separate from the year-long one, right? Yeah. It's meant to enhance the year-long online. So for people who want to come and meet each other in person and practice on the sacred land, which is an embodiment of Tara herself, as Rinpoche said, right, Lama La? Like this is yeah. the land is the body of Tara. So we'll practice on the beautiful land of Taramandala in Colorado. But it yeah. can be separate. And the statues are there. And the statues are there. So we'll practice in the temple with yeah. the 21 Tata statue. Buddhist temples are not round or round-ish. And I think that came out of the feminine. It has to be round, right? Yes. So, yeah. Well, that course sounds amazing, like a really deep dive so people can get to know them. And, and if you felt something today with the fifth Tara with Kurukula, then come back and dive in and then you have access to all these different ones for whatever happens in your life. There's a Tara for it. That's so, right. Uh, yeah, just one point this in the course last time. Remember during the election and Elizabeth Warren's like, I have an answer for that or something like that. kind of a one-liner joke she'd always say. Is during that time I kept feeling like Elizabeth Warren, like I have a Tara for that. <laughs> And I also want to just also extend my gratitude to you for being so magnetizing. You know, you really embodied a lot of these Taras to me. But when I chose uh, Machi Glavdrin and you for the fifth Tara, it was because out of this sense of wonder, but also uh, gratitude for all the hard work you've put into bringing the Dharma to so many of us who might not have 
had access to it, right? Mm-hmm. Not just women, but mainly women, but other folks, you know, who've been marginalized, mm-hmm. right? And so thank you for embodying that kind of magnetic power, but also compassion and wisdom to bring that to fruition. I feel like you forming Tara Mandala and magnetizing so many of us from all around the world world to practice to Tara's, you know, physical body on the land is such a beautiful example of how Tara Kurukula's magnetizing and enriching and pacifying and subduing have come to being. So read the Fittara chapter, everybody, and mm-hmm. see how Machig and Lama Tsultrim in more detailed embody the Fittara Urukula. Yeah. She's so fabulous. I love her. Thank you. I love you. <laughs> Thank you. I remember I was just thinking as you were saying when I saw you and I decided to magnetize you. I saw you and I was like, I want to get to know her. Who is she? You know, because of course I knew your parents, but you just had a certain energy about you, and you were there with Tara, your daughter, and she was quite young at that time. And we connected, and I think I asked you to help with the auction. Yeah, that's very magnetizing. <laughs> but that's interesting that I really had that feeling with you, like I want to connect with her, because I felt like it was so important that we sort of support these this next generation of people, because in many Dharma centers, in the Tibetan tradition anyway, it's all people in my generation, or mostly people in my generation. So then what's going to happen if we don't have anyone in the next generation? Somehow, Tara Mandala has always attracted youth. Remark on that, because other people would say, oh, it's just all of us old fogies, or as my daughter says, the dried up hippies. But um, We love them, though. <laughs> so anyway... Thank you, and so excited. Embodying Tara is with us now, and that you're going to deepen the understanding of these embodiments of the sacred feminine. It's such an enriching project and such an enriching book. And wow, it's wonderful. And thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thank you for magnetizing me. I'm infinitely grateful. <laughs> Oh, might have been, you know, in finance or something. <laughs> yeah, might have just gotten discouraged about the patriarchy. Oh, totally. You saved that. That, that was a close call. And I think that's happened to not only you. So, um, yeah. Okay, everybody. Lots of love. Thank you, everyone, for being with us for this Wisdom Rising podcast. May it benefit all beings. And I'd like to take a moment to thank the production team of Wisdom Rising and also to let you know that if you would like further information on my work or the associated people who work with Tara Mandala, you can reach out to the Tara Mandala website, T-A-R-A-M-A-N-D-A-L-A dot O-R-G. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe.